This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 123. And the quote of the day is from Paolo Coelho, who said, It's the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this session is brought to you by DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW for years, not only because they make great handcrafted drums, but they also support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. Check them out today at dwdrums.com. This episode is also brought to you by Promark Select Balance. Select Balance is the new way of building, typing, and choosing drumsticks. Choose the length, balance point, taper, tip, and material that creates the perfect stick for you using the Select Balance system only by Promark. Check them out today at Promark.com. Listen, guys, if you want to work, you got to learn how to groove. And Damani Rhodes Play Along tracks help you do just that. These drumless tracks help you improve your time, feel, groove, and musicality, and much more. To get your very own Play Along track for free, visit DrummersResource.com forward slash Play Along. Now, the interview that I have today, I got to talk to you about. It is Adam Deitch, and I've been waiting about a year and a half to get this interview up. And we recorded it. Everything sounded fine. And then I got it into the program to start editing it. And for some reason, my voice is all distorted. So I'm, I know it sounds like crap. I'm sorry that it sounds like crap. And I promise I'm going to get Adam back on the show. But I wanted to release the interview because I think it's a great interview. And I started to go through and, and try to fix it and and re-ask the questions and everything, and it just started to sound really, really weird and everything. So I, I, I'm i sorry. I, I feel horrible even releasing this because I value uh, putting out great to- great content, excuse me, to you guys. And so I've, I've been fighting back and forth whether to release this or not. So please don't think that I'm just releasing this just because I don't care, and I'm just like, let's get another interview out there. I really have been fighting back and forth whether I wanted to release this interview or not the way that it is. And I decided to put it out there for those of you who want to listen to it. But I'm also going to work on it to try to fix the whole entire thing. And I'm going to get Adam back on the show. So again, I hope you enjoy the interview. I'm sorry for the audio quality. I've been having audio issues and I finally figured out why. So it's fixed. Everything is fixed. We won't have this problem ever again, finally. But, uh, but yeah, so just really know that I'm not just putting this out there and, and thinking, oh, I don't care what the audio sounds like. I absolutely do, and, but there was just unforeseen circumstances that happened with the podcast or with the recording, I should say. So that's why it sounds the way it does. So bear with me. And without further ado, I'm sure you're like, great, I can't wait to get into this interview. But I promise you, the content in here is really good, and Adam really delivers on this. That's why I wanted to get it out. So without further ado, Mr. Adam Deitch. Adam, what's going on, man? I'm chilling. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for, for doing this. And as I mentioned, I am a huge Lettuce fan. I have been for years and years and years, so thank you for taking the time to sit down with me and thank you for working out through technical difficulties to make this thing happen. It's all good, man. So I know that a lot of the 
audience knows who you are, but for those of the people who don't know who you are, uh, let's talk a, a little bit about your backstory and, and who you are and what you do. Um, I just have many different influences. Started playing when I was a little kid. Um, got a chance to tour the world with Average White Band, John Schofield, uh, Lauren Hill, the Fugees, uh, Wyclef Jean, and now with my own bands, Break Science and Lettuce. That's a that's the quickest I've ever heard anybody sum up their entire career. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, there's a lot more shit, but let's uh, just keep it at that for now. And you've done some amazing <laughs> things. So let's. I'm going to go back a little bit uh, about your influence because you're. I know your father's a professional musician, and your mom's a professional musician as well, right? Correct. So, do you think that you've sort of had like an unfair advantage coming up that you were automatically going to be better than everybody else? <laughs> I just uh, I just knew how much I loved it and how obsessed I was way before my other musician friends were even, you know, I kind of like got into skateboarding at, you know, 13 years old, 14, and I'd already been playing since I was two, so it was kind of like I took a break from drums and I came back and that sort of things. but uh, it, it was, I guess you could look at it as sort of unfair. I'm just, I, I consider it just lucky and right. blessed, actually. So how old are you now? I'm 39 years old. Okay. I was just wondering, because I came up skateboarding, too. I'm a little younger. I'm 34, but I was wondering, like... Okay. I was wondering we who... We probably your, have the same skate idols. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, who your guys were. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, Ray Barbie and, like, the early Powell guys. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Jason Lee, before he was an actor, he was, like, one of my favorite skateboarders. Nice. I remember I used to have a psycho stick board. I love that thing. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... When, so you had mentioned uh, we had some technical difficulties, but we were talking before about how your parents sort of gave you the freedom to say, "Hey, listen, this is we're professionals at this, but we'll let you check it out, and if you don't want to do it, that's cool too, right?" Totally. It was it was a very easygoing environment. It's like this is what we do. This is what we love. We're not going to force it on you, and we're not going to you know you know, put you in trouble or ground you for not practicing. It wasn't that kind of vibe. It was just kind of like, check this out. Here's all this information available to you. Mm-hmm. And, um, anytime I wanted to play drums with my dad or with my mom, they, they were, they were down to do that and jam. And so it was kind of like all their friends that were super happening musicians that were just gigging musicians, you know, in their thirties, you know, at the time I was a little kid and I got to meet all of them and I just learned so much from just, the whole environment that I was in from all their, all their musical friends and all them. And they took me to see Earth, Wind and Fire when I was 11 at Radio City Music Hall. I, I got to see Tower Power at the bottom line in New York City. That was like a major show for nice. me in, in the late 80s. And, and just, uh, yeah, this was, I was just hooked on Stevie Wonder, Donny Hathaway. All those, all, all their records that they love the most is kind of what hit me mm-hmm. um, most as a kid, for sure. So, who were your uh, Who were your guys? Who Who were the guys that you were like super into? Um, well, I, I would say like because my obsession with Earth and Fire, Fred White was mm-hmm. uh, probably my number one guy. You know, he's the guy I always felt like had that magic touch to make a a funky soul record just feel like it's just going to be there forever right. and has a great groove and a great feel and zero flash and zero look at me and just kind of like no frills, no, you know, it's just kind of every fill is so just heartfelt and 
And then I found out Fred White played with, with Donny Hathaway also. Mm-hmm. And he played on one, one of Donny's live records that's like, um, you know, just probably, I think, I don't know how many live records Donny has. I think it's like the main one from the 70s. And, uh, yeah, Fred's just like my guy. And, and um, I kind of just patterned my style after him. And, and then I got, you know, when I started getting into a little more advanced shit, Dennis was, uh, I was obsessed with Dennis and, and his video that he had with Schofield about how to play funky fusion drums with, yeah, yeah, yeah. with John Schofield. Yeah. So I, I set that video up, you know, the VHS cassette in the basement with a drum set and tried to learn everything I could from that video. Mm-hmm. There was no YouTube. There was none of that. It, yeah, was just, yeah. it was like the beginning of being able to, to like hang out with a drummer that of that caliber and pick and just kind of press pause whenever I couldn't figure out what he was doing or slow, slow it down and go, what is the sticking on this? I just kind of obsessed over his videos and Omar Hakim also was another one that I, you know, I was obsessed with. Yeah. I remember watching a, that Dennis Chambers video with John Schofield and Dennis plays this fill where he's like splashing the hi hat and he does like some double thing with his right hand and he goes around the kit. And yep. I remember, I'm like, what is, I remember like, I don't know what I don't even know what the tune is, yeah. but but I know I know the exact video that you're talking about and just that yeah. film. I just remember that I, like as soon as you started talking about it, I just heard like four bars of that tune with Dennis doing all these fills. So I'm gonna yeah, I could see the hat and the Jerry curl right now <laughs> in my mind. You know, like just everything. He's that this big hulking guy, very well spoken, very just like a great educator, super cool in the videos. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't being very, uh, he was just the way he presented his, his concepts were really cool and they made sense to me. And, right. and I, I just, uh, you know, I love, you know, he said he played along with records all the time. And that's what I did. I, I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with playing with records, you know, and headphones on and just going and playing the whole record and going to another record. And so mm-hmm. that's how he learned. And just, I just felt very, uh, inspired by him. And if I'm not mistaken, sure. he doesn't, he doesn't read. So. He doesn't read, yeah, and that might be a reason why my reading never got to a proficient level, you know. Yeah, I figured, you know, he was talking about developing his ear and, and having a sort of, the sort of memory where you can actually remember an arrangement and remember the time and the feel and the groove and that sort of thing. I just concentrated on that sure. a lot. And the reason why I asked who you're, t- I'm not, I'm not much of a who's your favorite drummer kind of guy. I, like I don't ask that question yeah. because I think it's a stupid question. But I like the idea of who are your influences because, for me, when I look at somebody and I say, "Oh man, I really dig what they do," which I dig what you do completely. So I want to know who your influences are, and then you know, look at Dennis and look at all those guys and look at who their influences were, and sort of like right. go back to see where, to sort of see like where your lineage started you know, from who Dennis listened to and all those other people. That's why for me, it's always an interesting question to know who you listen to, you know? Definitely. He was a, he was a major, major piece of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then amazingly, you get to play with Schofield. How many years later that had to be a, a nice, that's really you. crazy. And I, I, you know, because of that video, I looked at Schofield as like this, this otherworldly God that I would never get to play with, you know, because right. you know, I just worshiped him since I was, you know, 14. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my guys from Soul Live met him and they said he's a great guy and he's been sitting in with Soul Live and he loves the band and he's looking for a drummer for his new like electronic meets fusion band, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a dinner and we I got to hang out with him at dinner and he was super cool. And then he sat in with Lettuce uh, in New York at this place, the Wetlands, which 
is owned by the guy that runs Broken Bowl, and it was just a great hang. And and he played, and he called me the next day and said, "Do you want to go on tour?" And I was like, "Absolutely, <laughs> yes, this I is do. a dream." I'm you on know? my way. It was. I remember the feeling I got from that call. I'll, I'll never forget it. It was just like you know, it's just one of those. <laughs> amazing moments you know I'm sure man I'm sure so let's I want to talk a little bit about how you sort of established yourself in New York and you have Royal Family Records and you you know you work closely obviously with the guys from from Soul Live and you have Fire Department you have all these other projects going on and the, the one thing that I I like about that whole the whole family that you guys have is that there's multiple guys that are in multiple bands that are mm-hmm. un, that are under the label now. Is, did you guys do that on purpose, or is that just sort of the way the thing shook out? Because you guys will go on tour, I and mean, there's like seven bands, and there's like oh, it's all the guys, same people, which is awesome, I think. Yeah, well, it's just you know we saw a lot of um, great players um, opting out of the band thing and going into the uh, I just want to play with Usher or Justin Timberlake or you know or you know whatever big artist, pop artist, and and. You know, and that's awesome, and that's that that was their path, and that's what they chose. And like, we just kind of wanted to like play with each other. You know, we would right. we would play with other bands and other things, and it was great. And then when we got back together, it was like, oh, the homies. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. we just had that breath of fresh air. And I feel like a lot of bands, there's a lot of tension when you when you when you do a band, and and nobody knows what they can do outside of the band. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, you feel, you feel like you're just stuck with these guys you don't know what what your uh, possibilities are in the world so what we did is we kind of established this relationship as like we love playing with each other and now let's go out and see what we could do and, and everyone did great things you know right. uh, bass player ended up playing on all the radio hip hop hits of the 90s and all you know stuff and Krasno went to play with every possible star known you know under the sun you know right, right. Uh, from BB King to Derek Trucks and all them, and and uh, you know every, every one of the band had successful careers outside of the band, so that actually was just something that just happened is natural. We all encouraged each other, and we we knew we would come back to it. We knew we would we would come back to this band and, and concentrate once we had like just kind of realized what was out there, and we realized mm-hmm. playing with each other was better. It was just more was our path. Sure. You know, it's funny because Friday night I went to PNC uh, in home down. Uh, Chris Kula's uh, buddy of mine, he plays for OAR. And they started, I was in a band for years. We toured all over the country for years. Uh, and I was watching the, I was watching OAR play. And they, sort, they started in high school and just grew this band into this massive thing. And I was right. driving home and I was like, man, I think that there's a greater satisfaction of doing it with your friends than just getting hired to play with some star who like rides in a different bus than you and just shows right. up doesn't right. isn't it sound check just shows up for the gig plays the gig and goes home. Right. i mean what are your thoughts yeah. on that i mean I, I again i'll go with the whatever your life's path you know whatever you feel is, is you know i know people that are playing on giant gigs with giant artists that are completely happy and loving it and I've created family environments on these sort of gigs where there isn't normally an environment like that. Right, you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they're such great, uh, you know, like little John Roberts, for instance, like he's with, he just did Stevie wonder. He mm-hmm. just, he's with Janet Jackson now. And he creates these like sort of family environments that, you know, people love to hire him, not only because he's like the best drummer for that sort of gig, 
you know, or from any sort of gig. He's just like the best drummer, period. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he's another big one for me, Little John Roberts, because I, I, I saw him play when I was 16 when I met the Lettuce Guys, and, and I was like, uh-oh, yeah. this is a whole other thing. I'm from Philly, he so like a, he's like, you know, yeah, he's, my, right, he's one of exactly. my guys. Yeah, he just has that hip-hop thing that, like, you know, he kind of plays like a really strong, like, 90s hip-hop vibe with, you know hits really hard and, and, and just, you know, he could, he could totally play an amazing solo and blow your mind with, you know, n- nothing really flashy, just really amazingly funky things that he does. And he's just one of my guys. So, you know, guys like that, you know, and because he's a great person, you know, he creates the sort of band environment, no matter who he's hired to play with. Right. You know, right. so it, it just depends on what kind of person you are and, and uh, what, what your path is. I'm, I'm just lucky enough to have to kept my team together and and to be doing this and, and to be able to write. You know, I'm really into composing and you know, I write a lot of the lettuce stuff. So, to, you know, to have the trust that when I bring in a tune and I, and I make a demo of it on my computer and I bring it in, they're going to learn it. They're going to play it better than I've ever imagined, you know. And, right. and, I, do, and I do the same thing for them. If they bring a tune in, I'm going to play the drum part that they thought of in their head, you know, and not, you know, not mess with it because I want everyone's vision to come out the way they envisioned it, you know, mm-hmm. like, musically. So it just works out and there's a lot of trust. So that's, uh, that's why I love the band. So question for you, you mentioned that you do a lot of writing. What are you writing? Are you usually write on keyboards or do you write on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, luckily my parents had me studying piano since I was a little kid and we always had a piano in the house and I was always taught that piano is the mother instrument, the mother of all instruments. And you have to know piano and you should know as much as you can about the piano. And and I just always had this kind of just drilled into me. So even when I wasn't, you know, after I was done with piano lessons, I would still hang out with the piano and always loved it. Um, One time I was playing piano in seventh grade in my class and the piano fell because it was on old frayed wheels (laughs) and it broke my leg in half in front of the entire class. And yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty wild. But uh, yeah, <laughs> piano has been a big part of my I just life. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Right? Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. But my friends are making fun of me to this day. But yeah, that, that hurt. And um, you know, <laughs> but you know, the piano is definitely like, you know, I'm very much tied to it. So yeah, when I write, I, I create things that are you know, a funky beat, a bass line, a good horn line, a solid guitar part, a solid second guitar part intro a section b section uh solo section groove outro you know so and i'll just demo the whole thing on pro tools and uh, email everybody in mp3 and oh, so they'll, you're they'll writing all the parts. parts you're not just writing the melody lines no the whole the whole everyone's parts that's awesome that's awesome yeah. and the reason why i ask that is because i know that you know for me that was one of the challenges when i put out my record was like writing these tunes and you know luckily i had johnny d francesco that was you know co-wrote the tunes with me and but i think it i think it's super important to as a drummer to be able to because we don't play a melodic instrument so we have to you know we have to sort of forge our own way through and say i'm gonna either learn how like like mark giuliani he's like you know he writes on piano and and I, I, I was just curious how you were writing because I think it's an important skill yeah. for drummers to learn yeah. you know, across the yeah. board. Yeah, I, I write, you know, it's, it's also writing guitar also sometimes. If I'm, I'm, I'll just mess around the guitar until I find some inkling of a part that I think could be could work in some sort of yin and yang way with, with, with two guitars and 
you know, because if you think thinking rhythmically and with funk, it's like, it's all about how the parts intersect in that cool way and how there's still space. And I think drummers have a leg up on that of writing, you know, rhythmic music, you know? Sure. So I, I really, yeah, I really enjoy it. And it's, uh, it's like my passion of, you know, creating these songs and the other guys in Lettuce are also great writers and, you know, I'm just happy that we all have our place to bring our compositions and have them played and played out and recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's great. So I want to I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about your playing specifically and your pocket because your pocket is insane. And the first time I ever heard you play, I, I just remember putting a, a buddy of mine gave me. Uh, he gave actually no, he sent me. It was one track. It was reunion. And uh-huh. And I put it on, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" So it was just it, it it was really just it just blew me away. So I want to talk about that about your development of your pocket because I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't focus on. And now it's like, let me show you all my licks and and right, right. you know all the flash and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, you know going back to everyone's favorite bands, you know, it's like, are you a fan of, of individuals or are you a fan of the band and their music? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've always been kind of on, you know, in the middle. I, I love a lot of individual players. Like, of course, you know, Gad and Vinny and, you know, I had a, a Weckle phase and I had, you know, like I, I dig all, all the cats that were, you know, playing with everybody and doing all the sessions. And, and I also dig the bands, you know, and, the guys that play with the bands that I love, they played the perfect parts. And I just think the pocket thing is when you really care about the song and you really want to, you really want to make people feel good and let the song ride, you know, mm-hmm. and not, not push your, your ego or, you know, have people go, wow, that lick was hot. Who is that guy? You know, if, if right. you're thinking that, that someone's going to notice some hot thing you played, you know, it, it just, it changes your mindset. And it's good to just like, really get into the groove guys like Harvey Mason and you know just the what do they do and that you know that made it feel so good you know the, the mm-hmm. reunion song you mentioned hilarious because the demo of that of that song was a, a Mike Clark loop because he, he put out a, a loop CD years ago in the uh-huh. 90s that had a whole bunch of Mike Clark like two bar loops you know mm-hmm. and uh, one of them was what the loop used that was was the groove he played on um uh God Made Me Funky by uh, the Headhunters, which mm-hmm. is a record they did with, without Herbie Hancock. And um, so I was basically listening to that, that loop over and over again during the demo. And it was time to record or time to play it. It was like, okay, I'm going to play that groove, you know, as far as I can go with it, you know. And, uh, you know, that was sort of the concept with the band, like have a beat, stick it. And then when, when, when the solos happen, you know, try to react to the solos in, in a in a cool way without disturbing the groove but still having the interaction thing happening so you're not just a robot you know mm-hmm. just playing the groove the whole time so that's the good thing about lettuce is like I, I can I can pull that like I'm just going to groove for a while you know a while and just two and four to death and uh, make sure the ones are nice and feeling good and, and then when it comes to the solos it's like open up a little bit you know just right. get with the solos playing a polyrhythm just you know hint at it you know you don't have to play the exact thing he's playing, the three over four by, but you can go with it, and so that, that's the way to get off. You know, so I just kind of enjoy doing both. Mm-hmm. Do you ever struggle with holding back? Um, see, I mean, like I, I've luck, you know, 
lucked out and have, you know, part of the reason I love the lettuce guys so much is they, they never hold back with me in it. You know, like I, you know, to this day, last month, my keyboard player, Neil Evans and lettuce who's also been playing drums nonstop recently. And he's like, a, he's going to be a great drummer. He's, he's already a great drummer. He's, he sounds great. And he's like, a, you know, I, he goes, I love it when, when you're, when you're pissed off on the gig and you just get on a gig and you just play everything, just, you just run through it and you're not throwing extra stuff in and you're just kind of just all business. He's like, I love that <laughs> when you do that. And I was like, wow. Like and he can tell when I'm just like up there, like, Oh, let's get through this. You know, like, right. you know, as opposed to like, when you're feeling good, let me throw this in and throw that in. And, yeah. you know, so, you know, to this day, my, my boys are still like, just play that beat, man. Right. You know, like, right. and, and if it wasn't for them, I, I, I might have like, you know, gotten into more stuff or progressive and been playing in odd times. But I was kind of like, they kind of just let me know, like, you know, if, when, when we're playing together, this is what works for our thing. Right. And, and, you know, so I have to give up, give them all the credit for <laughs> kicking my ass. <laughs> and make no mistake about it, though. I mean, you've got chops too it's not like it's not like you're this groove guy that doesn't have a ton of chops i mean you mm -hmm. have the chops too so the fact that you that you can pull that in you have enough maturity and and restrain to be able to do that it speaks volumes to your playing too thanks man i mean it's all about taste taste factor you know it's mm -hmm. like you know you've been waiting to play this fill and you know after eight or 16 bars it's like do you really want to throw that 16 mil chirpa thing with the double kick or do you just want to go pat boom, Debbie boom, you know, right. it's like, and, and, you know, so I just find myself gravitating towards like a simple, a simple feel that feels really good. And especially when you're, you know, now we're playing in front of these big crowds. It's like, if I just get, uh, do a simple heartbeat fill, it's like, you could see them just, they love it. They're into it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it's like sometimes you, you can lose them a little bit. And you'll impress, like, the three guys that are, you know, that are, you know, looking for you to play something. But right. everyone else is like, what? You know, where yeah. where to go? Yeah. You know? So I'm just kind of, it's, it's, it's still a learning process. I'm still learning to hold, know when to hold back and when to cut loose, that kind of thing. Right. It's a lifelong learning process. <laughs> I had a uh, one of my early mentors always used to tell me, and for the people who are listening, sorry for the for the language, but he would always say, "Stop playing all that jerk off drummer shit." And yeah. I'd be like, "All right, all right, sorry. Let me get let me get back to what I was doing." Yeah. <laughs> sorry yeah, for I trying mean, all that crazy stuff. Totally. And <laughs> I got really obsessed with with hip hop too. Like you know, it, it was like my one rebellion because you know my parents were into soul and funk and jazz and right. classical and the Beatles and everything, but the rap thing, they had no idea what that was. And they, they dug that I was into it, you know, mm -hmm. they would like buy me rap tapes for Christmas and shit when I was like 13, you know, but, uh, I like, it was kind of like my own thing, you know, I was like, okay, here's a music my parents know nothing about. It's right. based off clips of the records that they have, but mm -hmm. just little pieces of it, little sound collages of different records that I, I knew most of the samples and most of the stuff and where the beats came from. It was a cool in the gang thing or whatever that was, was sampled, you know, I kind of already knew what the, you know, the original source, mm -hmm. if I didn't, I would search it out. So, and, and when you get, when you become obsessed with hip hop as a 14 year old or whatever, you know, you start really understanding the power of just, you know, boom, boom, bap, boom, boom, bap, boom, boom, bap, just oh, over man. and over again. Man, I was there. <laughs> I was there right with you, man. Yeah. I was, that's all you were I there. listened to. Yeah. Like, 
I mean, like EPMD, DOC, Tribe Called Quest, like that's mm-hmm. all I listened to for Yeah, I, I was years. obsessed. I was obsessed with, you know, Pete Rock and Public Enemy yep. and, and, and Rock Kim and Karis One. I was, so, you know, I, I took, you know, I would play with those records. I would actually put them on and play, like, just the groove for hours and hours to the point where my mom was like, why are you playing the same beat over and over again? It's driving me crazy. Like, stop. <laughs> you know, like, so I, I, I guess like, that had a lot Right, like yeah, I want to hear a fill. You do a fill. Like no, mom. It's like it is no fill on this record. You know, like you know. So I, I kind of got into this like really insane concept of simplicity from the, the hip hop obsession. I mm-hmm. guess that was a big part of it. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It, unfortunately, when so my brother is um, is six years older, so he's a little bit older than you, and. So he got me into all the hip hop, and that was all I listened to. But unfortunately, at that time, I still thought that I was going to be a rapper. So I wasn't playing. Uh, cool. But I wasn't playing cool. drums. I still, I still might be a rapper one day. I'm still considering it. <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> you and I are going to start a group, and we'll kill it. But, uh, <laughs> Sounds good. And uh, but the, and so I was like, I guess I wasn't really listening to it for the drums. I was listening to it for the lyric side of it. Uh, but now right. I'm like, man, I wish I was playing drums along to that stuff, you know, <laughs> for years, because I'm sure I would have been, I'm sure I would have had a lot more simplicity going through my brain, too. But right. I mean, I, I looked at the lyrics as like a drum solo, like a snare drum solo. So, right. And that would be, you know, the lead percussion part would be the lyrics. And the support rhythm is the kick, snare, and the bass line. Mm-hmm. And whatever sample in there that's, you know, kind of in between the two. So I just got really into like the idea of support rhythm versus lead rhythm. Right. You know, that was like the concept of rap to me. And I was like, okay, you know, like that, it just made sense to me. And it was like, you, you know, so being a, you know, I played in, in a hip hop group, a bunch of hip hop groups with different things. And I just loved it. And I would get mad whenever I saw, you know, a cat on a hip hop gig playing just normal drum stuff, you know, like, slick stuff or anything I'd be like no you just gotta kick snare hat that shit to death right. you know right and uh it just kind of gave me like this kind of like attitude well if I'm ever on a fucking hip hop gig I'm gonna play it as you know as close to the original feel you know, as you can with an acoustic kit right. it never dawned on me that it was a sample or it was a you know uh, a drum machine I didn't care it was mm-hmm. like I was gonna do my best to give you that feeling on an acoustic kit that I was just obsessed with that sort of concept. Sure. And I mean, that's how, that's how you sound too. Even now, like when you're playing with lettuce, it's obviously not a hip hop gig, but you sound mm-hmm. like a live hip hop drummer. And I mean, in a, oh, and I mean that, that in a good way. Like, I mean, it has, it has life in it and it breathes, but it, I mean, it's, it's consistent and it makes you move and it's not like all this, crazy shit and then when it needs to be crazy it can be like you know if you're playing like the last supper or something like that then it's nuts right, at the end, right. you know what i mean exactly. but like, but but you have that control so i think that's what i really dig about your playing is the fact that like it has that it has that like hip-hop bounce to it but it still has a deep pocket and a deep groove so yeah i, I feel like that's what makes all but lettuce is funk different from like my parents funk I agree. or like you know the, the the funk of the 70s it's like it's this thing that happened out of you know, in DC called Go Go Music, mm-hmm. which uh, you know bands like Chuck Brown and Rare Essence and uh, groups like that that started this little scene in DC that was um, it had this groove that boomed, bat boomed, boom, bat boomed, boom, bat boomed. So it had, and that was like the first of the really 
triplet oriented swing group, you know, where they would play that all night. And that was adopted, um, by the hip hop guys. And so, you know, all the early hip hop had these go-go grooves on them. And right. I, I just became obsessed with that, you know, and I feel like that's a, that's what separated, you know, the feel from like a band like Tower Power or Earth and Fire. They didn't have that sort of slow, swingy, heavy feeling, you know, beat, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I just love from hip hop. So we just tried to make Lettuce a combination of those, of like, you know, 70s funk. And then we have that 90s hip hop, you know, diehard kind of attitude mixed with that. And I feel like that's, that's what our thing is, basically. Mission accomplished. That's <laughs> you nailed it. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, man. So, question for you. I, you know, we've been talking about all these, all the things that that you've done right, but I always like to touch on some sort of failure or some sort of obstacle that you had to overcome and and how you got over that. Because I know that the listeners are like, all right, yeah, that's great that all these things are going well, but I'm stuck in this rut or I got this thing going on. So, what's your what's something that you that you either struggled with or something some obstacle that you had to overcome and how you did it? Okay, I mean, there's so many obstacles. I mean, uh, start, you know, starting off at Berkeley, you know, when I went first day at school, or, you know, first week of school, I, I auditioned for the gospel choir, which is like, you know, all the greatest musicians in the school went out for this gig. And, and um, you know, Antonio Sanchez was auditioning. Uh, John Blackwell was Prince's drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was just like, you know, John Lampkin, who plays with Kenny Garrett. Like, there's all these amazing players that ended up being, like, the who's who of drums. You know, and I was just there, and I, I went in with, with that simplicity kind of concept. Let me just play, you know, because I recognized the song, and I knew if I played the beat to Bonita Applebaum by Chocolate Quest, which is the original beat to the song that they were playing, I, I, I could just lay that down and not play any fills, and, and my, my concept just worked, so... You know, I, and I, I was met with a lot of resistance because I got that gig, and and, and I was kind of like, you know, because I wasn't really from the gospel world, and I, right. I, I hadn't really, you know, I played a little bit in church here and there, you know, in high school, um, because a friend of mine was bringing me to, you know, to play in his church, and I, I thought it was a great experience, but I, I wasn't like super f- familiar with the stuff, so it was really hard to, to like to do that. But I learned so much from just you know what not to do what to do and you know how to how to deal with people kind of not really uh believing in in, in what you're doing you know and still right. have to go forth with 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 it and uh i, I got a gig playing with michelle and Cello right for for a tour in japan when she wasn't able to bring chris dave and this is before i was really aware of chris dave's uh genius and what he does that makes you know, all the artists he plays with go crazy. And mm-hmm. I was just trying to go in there and play my simple style. And it didn't work because he was, you know, he was filling up the space and I wasn't, and I was leaving these huge holes in music that was making her feel really uncomfortable as an artist. So she mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, upset with me for like that whole tour. You know, she just really was giving me a lot of crap and a lot of, you know, like kind of roundabout ways to, open up and express myself and I did not quite get it. And it was a really dark, scary time for me, you know, like, right. and, uh, and another experience was I had a, a weekly gig with my lettuce guys and, uh, we were playing in Boston every, uh, Sunday. And there was another drummer named Mark Simmons who now plays with Al Jarreau, mm-hmm. who's a phenomenal drummer, a few years older than me. 
he can play straight ahead. He can play everything. He can play funk. He's, he grew up in church. He's just a phenomenal musician and drummer. And uh, he just kept sitting in once a night with my band and playing so amazingly. The crowd would be on its feet and so incredible. And my band loved playing with him. And I, I literally felt so bad and guilty that he wasn't playing. I, I quit the gig and gave it to him so I could sit and watch him play with my guys for like a couple months. Really? Yeah. And like, I would go home and I'd write practice on my wall with like marker, like, you know, like just, I was obsessed with like just figuring out why they sounded so much better with him than with me, you know, it was like, so what'd you figure out? Well, I figured out that, you know, it's about the energy that he was doing and he was, uh, the way he was building it to this, you know, building the energy in certain ways. I, I just learned like a, so like much. Like a tension and release kind of thing? Yeah, tension and release thing that he was so good at that w- w- it would make the crowd go crazy. And he, and everything he did was just so masterful and and he made sense and he always had a smile on his face and he had good posture and his head was up. And he, he just, like, just the way he... Uh, attacked the the stage, you know, like with, with that no holds bar thing. And, and, you know, to this day, like, you know, I, I always call him once a month or every couple of months and say, thank you, Mark, you know, like, right. Cause he, uh, he really helped me out. And, you know, he took, you know, he took me from one level and then watching him play with my, my guys, you know, I just, I learned so, you know, what, you know, what to do or, or somewhat of what to do, you know, to be more like, to get get some more of that so it was just kind of a great experience and a great learning experience was there stuff so, that you yeah. deliberately practiced from out of that like out of watching him um it was just it was like a vibe thing it right. was like yeah I would practice some of his things but um but it was definitely like the vibe that he was able to uh just raise the energy of the room to this like insane fervor like I just mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone do it like that and this guy, Charles Haynes, I don't know if you've ever heard Charles yeah. Haynes. He, he plays with Michelle Diacello now. He's from St. Louis. And he was also doing the same thing, sitting in with my guys. And he had his own band that was in the same club. And they played Tuesday nights. And he had some members of, of my band and his band. And, and they were kicking my band's ass, you know, weekly, every week. They were just, like, so much better and so much more together. And, and it was just a great way to, to push. You know, I was, like, almost depressed enough to, like, not play you know it was like right. at that point where it's like should i even be doing this you know right right. right. but uh, luckily, luckily i have that fire in me that's just like you know what i'm going to learn this i'm going to figure this out mm-hmm. you know I think, I think that's what people need to have like don't get depressed don't get down because it, it don't feel like the record yet or someone said you you rush or you drag or you this or you that just like i don't know if it's getting mad <laughs> or if it's like just feel just you know, try to get that confidence to get it together and just to force yourself to get better, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I feel like every athlete, every musician has gone through that, you know? Sure. And so, but people forget it because it, it, you get depressed. You know, like, why can't I do that? You right. know? I mean, Michael Jordan got cut so, from his, from his what high school team. Exactly. You and know? his brothers were like better than him always. And, you know, and right. And you know, he just had this fire in him, this competitive, like fire, you know, that I, I mean, I don't have that sort of 
Jordan competitive fire, but I got I got something there that's that won't let me uh, give up, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just thankful for that. I, I guess I can tell my parents that because you know when in doubt, I could always you know go back to just playing with Earthwind and Fire records and still having fun, you right. know, and fun right. playing music. So, but you know that wasn't enough for me, and I, I wanted to get better. I wanted to be legit, and all, all that helped. You know, when I got to be with Average White Band, when I got the when I auditioned for Average White Band, they said thank you but no thank you. Like we we like you but we're gonna go with this other guy. We're gonna go with uh, this guy Catfish Elias, who's an amazing drummer. He's Don, Don Elias's nephew, who's a famous percussionist mm-hmm. from the seventies, and, and he's a phenomenal drummer. And two months later, they called me and they said, "Hey kid, uh, the gig's yours to lose." Nice. Uh, and, and apparently, like Don didn't want to be on the road or whatever, and, and it just didn't. I mean, um, Catfish didn't want to be on the road, and it just worked out where they gave the kid a chance. They gave the kid a shot, mm. you know. And instead of me being depressed or telling them, you know, what the fuck, you know, uh, I should have right. got there. I just said, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. If if it doesn't work out, I'll I'll be here and I'll be ready, mm-hmm. you know. So that that also had to do with not being arrogant. Not not being a jerk and just kind of someone doesn't want to use you. That's cool. They may call you in three months. They right. may call you in a year. You know, mm-hmm. just hey, be cool with people. You know, that's I totally agree, man. My buddy James Wormworth, who plays for the Conan O'Brien band, he was here in New York, and mm-hmm. they would play like once a week. And the band leader came and was like, "Hey, man, we got picked up for the Conan show." And Worm's like, "Oh, great, let's do it." He's like, "Everybody except you." Because oh, well, they wanted no. Mac because they got Max Weinberg to play the gig. It right, was what, right, it was right. what Max was playing. So he was like, "Okay," and he was cool about it. He's like, "Hey, man, you know that's okay. Like we're all still friends." And then when they moved to yeah. LA, or and then when they they uh, they moved and they weren't bringing Max back, the first person they called was him, and now he's been playing with them for I don't know ten years or whatever. You there know? you go, because he kept it cool and he kept right. his wits about him. And he didn't lose it and go, and yeah, a lot of people, they burn their bridges, man. It's like one, one dig to their ego and they're like ready. They want revenge. You right. know, and I've seen just like that. Mm-hmm. And they may be the baddest cat in the world, but they, they just like have that chip where it's like, how dare you disrespect me? And it's like, you have to have that core belief that, that, you know, you have what it takes and someone doesn't need what you got. That's cool. You right. know, right. it's like, it's hard to develop that. It's a lifelong process of developing that. It you is. Know? It is. Now, do you think you still carry yeah. a bit of that chip on your shoulder, like from being at Berkeley and from from people really not not uh, not seeing things the way that you do? And you say, "Hey, man, like, do you feel like you still got something to prove?" Always, always. I feel like you know, people never. You know, first people don't. You know, it depends on what gig I'm playing. You know, they don't think I have that part of the bag or this this thing in the bag. You know, it's like. And it's always a proving ground for me. It's, it's, you know, if I'm on these festivals with these other bands and I'm just trying to go out there and do what I do. And yeah, I got, it's still there. It's still, you know, that, that fire is still there. And I, it's never like, oh, I'm sitting here in my mountain and everything's great. You know, it's right. like, it's, it's like Sisyphus, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you're always pushing that up the mountain and, you know, it's never really quite there, but it's, it's, you know, it's all about that fire. Right. So if your reputation would precede you, how would you want people to to talk about you as a as a drummer and as a person? Oh man, oh that's a good question. <laughs> um, someone who cares about the people in the crowd as well as the people in the band. Mm-hmm. 
um, as people, as people that want to have a good time and they want to release from whatever they're dealing with in their daily lives. And uh, I care about each and every one of those people. And I do, I, I look at them when I'm playing, I look at people and I, you know, it's like I, I try to catch the vibe of the room and bring it up. And that's all I'm about. And it's, it's really a combination of like, you know, just a love for humanity and a love for music itself. And you combine those and it's like, that's, that's me, I guess, you know, I'm never up there pissed off or depressed or, or, you know, just worrying about what I'm going to play. It's, mm -hmm. it's always about like, how can I make, you know, if, if, if my boy Ryan's taking a sax solo with lettuce and I want him to sound like a, a God, I want him to sound like Maceo sounded in, in 74, you know, right, like, right, right. you know, so I, I'm going to do what, Clyde Stubblefield did to make Maceo sound like a god, you know? Right. And, you know, Jabo and that, that sort of thing. So I, I, you know, I look forward to making my band members sound their absolute best at all times. Mm -hmm. That's like a really fun thing. If they come off like excited, even if I felt like I played like shit, if they're like, man, that was killing it, I'll be cool. I'm not going to like go right. hide in a corner because I sucked, right. you know? Like, <laughs> or I thought I sucked, you know? Right. It's like, you know, it's about, you know, if the bass player is like, man, I felt great tonight. That, that's that's my, my favorite feeling, you know. I right. love that. Nice. So what's the future hold for you? And what are some what are some things that you really still have yet to accomplish in the future? Uh, producing bands. I'm just starting to uh, consider that. Krasno has jumped into that world, and he's producing all, a lot of bands in the scene mm -hmm. that we're in. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. I feel like I, I have a good idea of how to do that and, and writing more and, uh, getting into the clinic thing more. And the, uh, you know, I really like what Mike Johnson's doing with, uh, his, uh, you know, his whole musical, uh, education system that he's got popping mm -hmm. and, and Stanton Moore with his drum camps and all that. So I feel like that's, that's a great place to go. And, and I want to write better tunes and, and, um, and just yeah, continue to improve. I guess that, that's basically the focus. Nice. I, I got to ask you one question. On a side note, you had mentioned different clinics and stuff, and you did the the Modern Drummer Festival. A few, I guess it was Modern Drummer Festival a few years ago. Yeah. And you yeah. have some crazy Zildjian symbol that's on the right hand side. And I know mm. that like every time I see your video, people ask about what is that. Uh, that's uh, well, Chris Dave uses that now with uh, with D'Angelo, and he uses one on each side. Oh really? And um, yeah, it's just like this weird symbol that they have um, that Zildjian showed me at at the you know when I went to the factory. I love love those guys. They're awesome. Sarah over at Zildjian, all the people over there. And uh, yeah, they had these really I like weird different symbols and things. And they just have that in a cutout where it just hangs like a long lampshade. I actually have one hanging from my ceiling in my apartment. Nice. <laughs> but, are, you, uh, are, you, are you talking you're not are, what are you saying the spiral one is that what you're talking about the spiral no, one I was talking about the big one that's like the oh big... are you talking about that uh, the other one the, uh, the trash can lid one yeah that one it has like a green yeah. Zildjian <laughs> sticker on it yeah yeah that, that was that was funny see man I wasn't that, that lying was... to I wasn't lying to you man I'm, I'm into your shit <laughs> that's what's up yeah uh, that symbol like got more attention than like everything I talked about in, in the entire uh, <laughs> clinic I'm like here I'm like trying to marry like electronic music and, and, and hip hop and funk and all together in this one stew you know and it's like 
people are like, what was that symbol? You know? Right. But, uh, and I just intensified it, it by yeah. asking you on the yeah. podcast about no, it. And I, got, and I got in trouble for it because I, mean, I was going to tell the real story. I mean, I'm sure Zilzer won't mind at this point. But I was at NAMM show, uh-huh. and, uh, and I walked up to this guy who has a company that I'm not remembering right now, and you might have to do a little research on this for me. Um, factory metal. I call it factory metal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he just like hammers these pieces of metal out in his garage. You know, this California guy. And he's like, hey man, take this. And I was like, okay, it's just a piece of metal with a bunch of hammer things in it. You know? <laughs> right. And I and I, I wanted to use it for the MD festival and Zildjian was like, uh, can we slap a Zildjian stick on it? And I was like, uh, sure. You know, but... Uh, That's exactly that what I thought happened. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I, I I haven't told the story in public till right now, and I hope Zildjian doesn't get pissed. I love Zildjian. I love their new Karopes. I love everything about them. And I want to thank the guy from Factory Metal because, uh, uh, you know, when he gave that to me, I, I'm sure he didn't expect me to play a modern drum festival with a Zildjian sticker on it. Right. right. So uh, <laughs> I just want to thank him. And maybe if we have to edit this out, we'll edit it out. But <laughs> well, I, don't th- I think that's what happened. And I don't think it's really a... a uh, yeah, I mean, it was a while something. ago. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it, it just—it was a great symbol, and it gave it gave me a, a sound that I like, which is, uh, you know, I was never a big gear guy. I was never a huge into like the newest cymbals and the right. best heads, and like I didn't even know how to tune drums till like way late. Like I, I, I my, you know, my parents are kind of just like you set the drums up and you just play them forever you <laughs> leave the heads on my parents have the same heads from like 81 still right. in their kit you know oh so you're not so, supposed uh, to oh shit that explains a lot yeah <laughs> yeah I'm not a gear guy I don't know I, I'm really not super knowledgeable about drum gear I, I just like things that have interesting sounds and, mm-hmm. and cool sounds and, and uh, that's why I threw that up there nice well, it sounded great. That video is great, too. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes for this. That video is actually a little harder to find for some reason than the, the other videos from you at Modern Drum Fest. So, but, uh, but I'll link to it on the show notes for this page. And if people want to learn more about you or, or get in touch with you or connect with you, what's the best way to do it? Um, uh, Facebook is good. You know, I got the Adam Deitch music page, you know, band page, whatever. And I have um, my personal page where they can follow and see what's going on with uh i'm posting all kinds of fun little stuff uh, i'm start we're starting a uh, lettuce records right now and uh we're looking forward to that putting out the new lettuce record on lettuce records and we're going to start um you know hopefully signing other acts you know down the road and and putting out music that that is in line with with the stuff that we love you know and uh, so that's basically what the plan is right now nice nice well, listen, man, I want to thank you for, uh, for doing this. It took us a while to hook it up, and then we had all these technical difficulties. And I, but I really do appreciate it. And like I said, I've been, a, I've been a fan of your music for a long time, so it's great to actually sit and chat with you and, and talk drums and life and philosophy. So I really do appreciate it. No doubt. I appreciate it, man. I love, I love talking drums. my favorite thing to talk. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Me too. Adam, thanks again. Enjoy your night, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Cool, man. Appreciate it. Thank all right. You. Yep. Thanks. So there you have it, Mr. Adam Deitch. For everything that we talked about, you can get all the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash session one, two, three. And again, I apologize about the audio and I fixed it. So uh, everything's everything's all gravy now and I figured out what's going on. So only good audio quality from here on out. So again, apologize. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. 
And check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. I love you. Mean it. Peace. (laughs) 